Well, hey, it's Seth, and I'm here with one of our church comm team partners, Josh Caro, who works as the comms director at Fairfield Baptist Church. Thanks for being here, man. I would love to hear what has been good about working with church comm team. Yeah, so probably the the most that I've, I've enjoyed is just the amount of knowledge and wisdom that I've gained from the comm side and just really meshing that with uh, ministry. We realize that if there is not a good, efficient internal process of how it all works, of how we're able to see the same vision and communicate that, then we can't do that to each ministry. Well, that's awesome to hear because it is really important to us to make sure that you guys are communicating uh, clearly and powerfully, but also connecting everything to your ministry, what's going on in the life of the church. So um, that's incredible to hear. Thank you so much for your time, man. And it's really a privilege to get to work with you guys. Amen. Same. Whether you're starting from scratch or you're trying to grow, ChurchCom Team can help you with your communications at your church. Go to churchcomteam.com and request a free consultation today. We feel like that the biblical model of church is everybody comes together and creates an experience that is unique and better because of everybody's participation there. Church online is not a, a Hebrews 10 issue. It's a Mark 16 issue where Jesus says, go into all the world and, and preach the good news. A big part of how we define success moving forward is to recognize that the people online have value and they are truly members of our congregation. Culture everywhere within society has adapted, yet we, the church, are still stuck in this 2020, and is it even really working? So, hey, why are we going back to that again? I think organizations and churches that have the ability to dream and haven't been able to actually execute, like, this is where you have the chance to fail forward. So, welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks. The Greek word, that's right, the Greek word, koinonia, can be defined as holding something in common. And there's a lot more to it than that, so we'll get into it. But it's the root of the idea of fellowship found in Scripture, community, fellowship. Uh, So fellowship can be a group that just enjoys playing a sport together or Dungeons and Dragons for the nerds. So what specifically makes fellowship biblical fellowship? And, And once you define that, we have the difficult task of giving our churchgoers opportunities to experience it in a healthy way. Hence the amounts of fried chicken, mac and cheese, and various unidentifiable casseroles I've consumed over the years at our church dinners, potlucks, and fellowship events. In today's society, we have to not only understand how to create opportunities and space for biblical fellowship in the church for those who attend in person, but also for those who are following us in the digital space. This is a difficult thing. However, The digital space has a myriad of opinions and beliefs, and as we wade into it further, leaders in the church realize more and more that the true distance between us is not just physical, but spiritual and emotional as well. So how do you facilitate a place for fellowship to happen in a healthy way when we all disagree so passionately about so much? So to figure that out, I wanted to talk to an actual pastor who I've watched navigate this pretty well over the last year or so, and he has done a good job of leading his community not only in opportunities that they had, they've tried to stay together, but he's also not avoided the difficult topics with his people. It's a very difficult balance. So we'll find out how it went, how it's going, 
something he said recently I thought was worth repeating is, where God's people are, God is present. And this, of course, is a paraphrase of Matthew 18, 20, where Jesus said, for there were two or three gather in my name, there I am with him. And we're going to dive into that idea of fellowship today, how to cultivate it, what causes a fellowship to break in this episode. All right. So my guest today is George Holloway, a church planter and former online pastor, and recently the pastor of Forterra Church in the Houston, Texas area. You can connect with George on Instagram or Facebook at George.Holloway, and that is H-O-L-L-E-W-A-Y, or on Twitter at George Holloway altogether. Uh, please welcome my guest. How's it going, man? Welcome to the show. What's up? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, I've, uh, I've enjoyed watching kind of the things that you're posting and doing. We met. This is the first time we've met, like in, per- in face-to-face. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't been in any conferences or anything where we've run into each other or any, anything in that space, but we're in Texas, so that is enough. That is, that is absolutely enough. <laughs> Are you Br- from brothers, Texas? Brothers by our state. Yes, yes. Born and raised in uh, Houston area, actually. Okay. I'm, I'm East yeah. Texas, now in DFW. But nice. yeah, it, there's, a, there's, a, some, there's something special about Texas. And that can be taken yeah, well, I mean, it's, multiple ways. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best state, but you know, has its issues. It does. It does. But my Texan uh, pride says it's the best, but uh, other parts of me go, yeah, but yeah, yeah, for sure. We got to be honest, but also pride. You know, Texas pride. Right. Right. We, we've got it in droves, and most people who listen to this that are not from Texas are like, "Yep, sounds like Texas." Pretty proud of them. <laughs> Pretty proud of their stuff. Um, wow. Well, anyway, thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about uh, fellowship here. We've been kind of talking in the last few episodes of the podcast about, you know, the church in the online digital space, we've had to rethink, reframe some things. And for this episode, we're, we're thinking, how do we reframe real biblical fellowship in the digital space? And I just want to dig into all of that. And so I've seen you kind of navigate some of that with your church and with your people online as we become friends and I've followed some of the things that you're doing. And um, I'm just really excited to hear your perspective on this because I think it's a valid one. Um, but let's just start simple. What, what counts as fellowship to you just in general? That is, it sounds like such a simple question. <laughs> yeah, right. That you and I both know how many arguments have happened over this question. Yeah, uh, that's why um, I want to start with it. Let's start arguing now. <laughs> so, uh, man, so the first thing I want to say before I give my answer is that it's my belief that when uh, the Bible describes biblical fellowship, uh, using air quotes there, biblical yeah. fellowship, uh, it is mostly descriptive and not prescriptive, uh, meaning it describes what the early church did, but doesn't necessarily prescribe that that's all the stuff that we have to do. Otherwise it's not biblical fellowship. Mm -hmm. And I say mostly because I think things like sacraments are not optional, you know, like you you should celebrate the Lord's supper. You should baptize people. You know, it's just, it's thing we're supposed to do. But aside from examples like that, most of it's descriptive. And what I see is, is basically six things that go into, into to fellowship. There's uh, gathering, you know, mm-hmm. actually you know, being together, however that happens. At the time, it was, you know, all in person. Uh, fellowship, which includes like a sense of belonging. Um, right. This is like small, not necessarily small groups, but like Xbox groups. 
you know, yeah, yeah. Halo Infinite can be fellowship. It def- yeah, it certainly can. It's like a it's like a, a purpose driven association. Actually, a lot of translations. I love the way they translate fellowship, especially the Acts passage that she referenced that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship. Uh, I think I like that better than the translations that say to just to fellowship. Because there is this sense of it being an association, like a purpose-driven association, like the fellowship of the ring. Yeah. Like it, 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 it is the fellowship. Yeah, that's it's my not just yeah, yeah. So like it's there, there's <laughs> there's this purpose behind it, which is the the third thing I would say is part of biblical fellowship, which is having this purpose behind why you're gathering. Uh and then there's encouragement and there's discipleship and they share meals together, which depending on where you're reading is the Lord's supper. Other times I'm convinced it's just food. Um, and they're, Candy, they're just yeah. eating together. Right. So that's my most succinct definition I can give of what biblical fellowship looks like. Do you need all of those things to happen every time you get together for it to be biblical fellowship? No, I don't okay. think so. That's a good, that's a good distinction because sometimes we, I feel like we think we have to accomplish so much whenever we get together, you know, as a, as a church group, you know, like we have to hit all those markers and, and maybe we don't. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned purpose is a big part of biblical fellowship. What exactly do you think the purpose of biblical fellowship really is for the life in the life of a believer, the church, et cetera? Uh, there's, there's a number of answers to that question. I think one of them that is most overt in scripture, at least is encouragement, building one another up and meeting each other's needs, which are all internally focused. It's all focused on other people in the church. And I think that's really actually important. Um, the Bible talks about how the church, that fellowship is the body of Christ. So when you love the body of Christ, when you encourage and build up the body of Christ, you are, you're loving God in doing that. Obviously the church is not God, but it, that's his body. I mean, that's, you're, you're loving his people. And when you love his people, you're loving God. So like, that's really important. Uh, but there's also like this, um, discipleship is the buzzword we use for it, but it's like a mutual sharpening that ideally happens when we're, when you have a group of people who are grounded in what Christ-like living looks like. Um, Obviously we can all think of examples where that goes bad and people are sharpened in the wrong direction, but the ideal is that we're sharpened to look more and more like Christ. And then there's like this strength in numbers that comes along uh, with that, where um, even if the numbers are small or if it's big, whatever, um, just having some other people around you that are doing their best to live like Jesus can make all the difference whenever you look out into the world around you and see even other Christians not seeming to do that. And having that strength in numbers is hugely important. I, I, I like that. I think, you know, purpose for the church is to love one another, build each other up, you know, and, and what you said there was, you know, really resonates with me as well. And, you know, I feel like that is, um, that's how it gets translated to the potlucks and the, and the, uh, the, the dinners together and the just hanging out time is that it is relationship building. It is loving one another. It's an opportunity to do that. Um, 
which is really tough because you can't force that. You can't force those relationships. You can't force real fellowship to happen. You can't go, all right, you guys go out there and fellowship to with each other. Like you can almost do that with other things. Like you can make people go, well, you can't make them, but you can say, let we're, here's how we're going to evangelize. Here's how we're going to disciple. Here's how we're going to worship. Like you can direct that stuff. But fellowship is this weird thing that you don't know how to really hit because everybody's so different. And, uh, you know, so really all you can do is provide opportunities for that. Right. So what, have you tried to do as a pastor to help foster those opportunities, I guess, for healthy fellowship in your people? And I'm thinking like in person or online, what are some ways that you have a, as a pastor really tried to give them those chances? Yeah. So uh, in person, it's easy. In my opinion, um, there's the great unifier, which is food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you give some, you give some folks some yummy food, even have them bring it. Then they've got buy-in into, into that. It's like, Hey, I brought my casserole or my homemade cookies or whatever. Like they're proud of it. Like they want to stick around and they want to hear people say, Oh, your lemon bars are delicious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, But it gives yeah. somebody something to do. Like it gives the introvert something to have in their hand to make them feel less awkward uh, to put in their mouth so they don't have to talk. Like, like <laughs> it gives the extroverts reasons to have conversation. Did you try those cookies? Right. Like there, it just is a great unifier online. It gets a bit more tricky. Um, right. It seems to, cause you can't have food online. Well, exactly. Can, right. It's not the same. It's not like eating together. Right. Right. We, when we've tried, my wife and I, I've had those like double dates with like another couple where you have wine and a meal together and uh, over zoom. And it's like, yeah, you know, we, it was fun. And the last thing you want to hear is somebody, you know, into a microphone. So people were probably like, that was gross, Seth. Why did you do that just now? But that's, that's like, it's just not, it's hard to translate that a little bit. Um, What else, what else about, uh, you know, fellowship opportunities? Do you feel like you can, what can you do online? With online, I think what you said a minute ago is actually really important, that you can't force fellowship. I think too often, um, I'll say people very well-intentioned try to force uh, Zoom small groups yeah, or um, Facebook groups. Uh, 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 yeah, Facebook groups, a Discord, anything. Uh, anything, any version of online communication can feel forced when you're trying to like push fellowship on yeah. people who don't want to. And then you're frustrated when it doesn't work out. And I, I, it seems to me that where I have seen the most success in actually creating fellowship in an online space is around uh, affinity-based groups. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Well, join a Dungeons and Dragons Facebook group and share <laughs> D&D memes. You know, like, yeah. like uh, do you like church communications, join the church com Facebook group, you know, like those, those groups are, are where a lot of that actual fellowship really happens when they're around, uh, yeah. affinity. But the other thing that I think is really, really underrated in church communication strategies, when it comes to creating fellowship in the digital space is the pastor's social media activity. Too many lead pastors never post they never accept friend requests. They never log on. They never share about their lives. Or when they do, it is just advertising for the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I strongly feel that, especially if you want to reach 
the next generations, uh, but not just them. I mean, the, some of the most active people in my Facebook list are 65 and up. Like <laughs> they're always on, they're retired. I'm nothing else to do. And I'll, and, yeah. And I'll voice for the, for the, uh, for the Gen Z's and the, and sorry, the, uh, the Gen X, which is my group, you know, there's, we're very active there too. You know, yeah. we, we may hate it, but it's necessarily evil. And we we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're paying attention, we check our emails, you know, we're, we're digitally exactly. savvy as well. And so if you as a pastor will share about your life and kind of generate some conversation, even post a question to help you with a sermon, people love things like that. Like, Hey, help me with a sermon. What's the time that you've felt alone, whatever. Yeah. Just something simple like that. That's absolutely an element of fellowship is that we're, you know, I'm, I'm preparing a message, but I'm including you in that. We're doing that together. You know, you see a lot right. of fellowship that does circle around not only interests, but just tasks together, like doing things together. You know, it's why, you know, people say, you know, a, a big form of, of relationship building in, you know, just the world in general is people, let's get a drink. You know, it's, it, they go to a bar and what do they do? They get a drink and they don't do anything. They just have to have something to do to build a relationship. What they're going to do is they're going to go, it's like a guy's way of saying, Hey, you want to go hang out and talk? You know, and it's like, we wouldn't say that, yes. but that's essentially what we're doing. You want to go hang out, you want to grab a beer, you know, something like that. And it's an excuse for us to, to get together. Um, but I like what you're saying about the affinity groups. I think that's important when we're trying to get fellowship. Like if we are like, we want better fellowship in our church, we want our people to find one another. I feel like what you're really saying, it's kind of this light bulb moment for me. Fellowship is found. It, it's not created, it's found. Like you have to look for it. And if you're not actively looking for it, you probably won't have it. Yes, fair? exactly. Yes. If you're, if you're a pastor who likes mountain biking, start a cycling Facebook group for your church. I, I, like as, as, as if you know that there are people in your church that like that, right? But it's, just, it's the same, the same rule applies for affinity groups too, though. Like you can't force it. Like Maybe you love Star Wars, but nobody in your church does. So don't start an affinity group based on that. But just that's one of the reasons why it's good for pastors to be on Facebook. Scroll through your Facebook feed. Look at what people are interested in, what they're posting about. It'll help you know how to form better fellowship circles. It'll also help to inform your sermons, uh, <laughs> to know what your people need to hear. Don't, don't screenshot someone's post and use it as an example of no. Sally said this terrible thing, <laughs> No, <laughs> but it can be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Getting a, you mean, know, a pulse on your church. Yeah. I mean, social media is a great way to, to, you know, crowdsource, you know, ideas for what people are dealing with. Now I wouldn't let it drive your whole strategy. Of course, you're the pastor, God's talking to you. You got to listen and do what people need to hear, not just what they want to hear. And, you know, that's a whole other sermon there, but it is really good when you're going, Hey, our people are really seem to be hurting on this same thing. You know, what can we do to help them? And that's a part of fellowship is without that fellowship part, you wouldn't know that. And, and this is what I say to communication directors too, is that if you're a comms director and you're hearing this and you're like, I need to do social, but social feels impersonal. If your church's social media feels impersonal, it's probably because the people creating it, don't have that element of fellowship with your people. 
it, it, there's, there's a disconnect there. It makes it really difficult. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's, it's very difficult, which is why I always say to pastors too, hey, don't ask your staff to do your social for you. You do it. It's a way you can fellowship in a place where people you, you minister to gather and you can fellowship with them and just be part of the crowd with them. Um, I think that's really, really valuable. I think that's super valuable. Well, we talked a little bit about translating from in-person fellowship to online fellowship. Well, um, what, what doesn't really translate? What's difficult about the online space that we can't really do there? Um, well, food. You know, yeah, food, <laughs> we mentioned yes. that already. Uh, you know, I think it's there's still something about uh, like a video chat that doesn't feel as natural as talking to somebody in person, um, and that that fa- it's that face to face stuff that is hard to translate to a digital space. Still, even as much as people are working from home. Um, even as much as people over this last year have gotten so much more accustomed to Zoom, um, it still isn't as natural as, oh, I see you on the other side of the fellowship hall at church. And so I'm going to go say hi. It's, it's not like like if somebody pops up FaceTiming you and you weren't expecting it and they're not your best friend, you're like weirded out, like what's happening versus if you saw that same person in the grocery store and they walked over and said, hi, you wouldn't be weirded out. So there's, there's this element of some of the spontaneity of relationships that's harder online, but becomes easier when you have more touch points, more like a a higher frequency of less significant interactions, things like based on affinity, based on, you know, oh, my pastor posted a picture of his chickens, you know, like yeah. <laughs> those. Yeah, we, we do that in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I was thinking of three different pastors. Um, when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and uh, you know, Carrie Newhoff is an example uh, of that a little bit. He, um, he posts a lot about his green egg barbecue smoke smoker. Yes. He's big into that. Like he posts about it all the time. Like got some meat on the, on the smoker. And he's developed a following who really just like to hear about the meat and, and not really the rest. <laughs> so yep. he posts stuff for them. That's funny to me, but it's, it's just one of those examples of, you know, he, he may never meet those people. Um, and if he were like, you don't know those people, they're just following him because of this, this affinity. Um, even in small churches, we can, we have that kind of thing where there's people that are fringe followers. It's tough to bring them in if the digital is all you have. You know, if your goal yeah. is to develop a higher level of, of fellowship with, you know, getting them connected with people, getting them connected with people uh, is, is difficult when the digital is the only thing we have. Um, which, you know, then you got to ask the question, well, what do you do then for those that follow your church that are in other states? That that's a tough question. I think for different churches it'll look different. Um, for uh, when I was an online pastor, um, it depended on where they were at in their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's somebody in Oklahoma and they are just not in a place where they're going to go walk through the doors of the church, well, stick around with us for a while. Keep keep hanging out in our online services. We'll keep talking with you. We'll keep texting you. Um, but my hope has always been to get people actually connected to a local, a local church where they can go to a potluck. 
you know, where, where they can, they can see people face to face. Cause I think that's, I think that's valuable. But people still have needs, right? There's, there's loneliness, there's financial needs. There's somebody that's hurting or needs, you know, they're in the hospital need prayer. Um, that's part of fellowship too. And, you know, sometimes we don't know about that, uh, in time or whatever, even in the re- like in person, um, if, for our people. So on the online space, you know, uh, is it possible to have, have that level of fellowship online that people can still have need, their needs met when they're hurting, lonely, et cetera? I think absolutely. It, it depends on, on, you know, on the situation to like yeah. what extent you can meet those needs. But I know my own story is one where my needs were met like that, where really? um, when I was, yeah, I actually uh, through Life Church. Um, with their online services. When I was in college, I battled the darkest bout of depression and anxiety um, of my life. Uh, there was literally a week I didn't leave the bed because my anxiety was so bad that my muscles tensed in my back to the point I couldn't move. Oh my gosh. It was, it, it was horrible. Um, it just, just, it was just a, a suffice it to say it was a very dark, yeah. Uh, difficult time for me. And, uh, I, w- I was working about full time. Uh, they kept me at 35 instead of 40, mm. just so I didn't have to pay benefits, but that's another uh, podcast. <laughs> that's another podcast, right? There. That's another one. Uh, so okay. I was working basically full time and taking yeah. like 20 something credits and just was killing myself. And, uh, w- there was one night I was, it was middle of the night, I think, uh, I was working in a coffee shop, working on homework. And I remember I sat facing the wall because I knew I was having basically an anxiety attack. And I, mm-hmm. I, as I knew, was about to cry. I didn't want anybody to see me crying in the coffee shop. So I sat there facing the wall and I opened a new tab away from my homework and just kind of out of desperation, I just Googled God and depression. And what popped up was a, um, a church service, uh, an online church service from Life Church, where Pastor Craig was talking about God and depression and how God's not mad at me because I'm depressed. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't judge me for that. In fact, he wants me to find healing and love and hope. And um, then they had an opportunity to ask for prayer by clicking a little button and talking with a host. And mm. I did that. And they followed up with me multiple times after that to ask how I was doing. And that, that led me down a path to finding healing, um, to, to getting out of that place, finding the help that I needed. And um, that happened all online in a coffee shop yeah. uh, just from a Google search, right? So absolutely, those kinds of wow. needs can be met. As an online pastor, I visited people in the hospital via Zoom. Um, we yeah. got people iPads so they could watch church in their hospital bed, right? Like mm-hmm. um, people were who were homebound, um, got them Roku's so they could watch on their TV in their living room. Yeah, those things can like absolutely meet some needs. Um, That's amazing. I I would have to put a slight caveat that where possible, I do think it's generally better if someone can have those needs met through an in-person relationship. Yeah. Why, but that's not why, always possible. Why do you feel that way? What, what do you think, what do you think is better about it? Is, I guess is my question. 
I think it comes down to just the way that God made us as human beings. We're physical creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were made not just with the spirit, but with the body. Um, and there's something about being present physically with another person that brings a different, a different level of intimacy, a different level of, um, like personal connection that can happen online. I think it can, it's just tends to be harder. So not always, but some often does. I think I agree with that. Um, I'm trying to look at that through the lens of not my experience, but through a, a purely objective theological lens that I think you're right. Um, where I get hung up on that is that that has not always been my experience that the in-person, no, I just told you a whole story of how that was my experience. Well, not, not, <laughs> not, not in that sense, in the sense of like my experience with the in-person has not always been good. You Fair. know, it, it yeah. has not always been a place where I felt safe to have that fellowship or to reach out for those things or that I was wanted in those communities or valued in those communities. And so I feel like it really has to do with the space to me. Um, so that I, so I understand like that connection, but there is a level of trust that has to come with that in person as well for it to be valid to me. And that's just my opinion. That's through my experience. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. You know, when it comes to biblical fellowship, you know, I've struggled with this. This is a, this is a part in my own personal life. Just be vulnerable here. Um, that, you know, I've felt rejected many times by church staff, leadership, church members, and, and you've been on staff, you know how that feels, you know, to feel like you're not wanted sometimes because somebody's mad mm-hmm. at you about something you did or said, you know, whatever. And, and, and when you experience those kinds of hurts of rejection in the church, it makes, it makes fellowship hard to open up to in places where you can't really control some of it. Like in person is a little bit more raw and where, when I have fellowship that exists online, I can choose to be part of that or not when I feel comfortable with it. So I have a little bit more control with that. Whereas in person, everybody's just thrown together and you got to deal with weird stuff, you know, that makes you uncomfortable sometimes. And so I feel like that's a fear. I'm just trying to voice like an honest, like, here's, here's where I struggle with fellowship. Uh, one of the reasons I was, I was nervous to talk about this or, and also a little excited too, is that, you know, I feel like that's an experience a lot of people have. And what really is a barrier for real biblical fellowship is sometimes the experiences with people you're trying to fellowship with. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, it's something to consider. Like, I agree that we are meant to be face to face, you know, theologically, spiritually, you know, I, I, I'm totally with you. My problem is, is that I don't want to, you know, I, I just gotta be honest. There's a lot of times I just don't want to be, I'm an introvert. I people have hurt me in times, you know, and I, I have reservations about stuff and, you know, I still work with the church, you know, and, and I'm, I very much love the church, but there's some, there's some real church hurt there that, you know, that many people have and started expressing quite a bit um, that I feel like as leaders, we need to start thinking, okay, is there something here for us to learn from and how can we make these spaces better? for so that that sort of thing doesn't take place. Um, but anyway, that's my, absolutely. That, you know, that's, that's my little deal. Um, 
which is a great segue into this quote I want to read uh, for you and see get your reaction here. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in Life Together, the classic exploration of Christian community. Uh, I love this guy. I love this book. And full disclosure, it's the only book I've read by him, but I, I really do love this book. He said, um, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. What do you think of that quote? What does that say? To mm. you? That is, that rings so true to me. Yeah. And I don't know because I haven't, I didn't read it in the context. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, that he wrote it. it's a proof text. <laughs> but taking it just at, 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 at face value from mm -hmm. what you read, um, it rings true to me that if you love, like he says, your dream of community, your ideal of what it ought to look like yeah, more than you are just loving the people around you mm -hmm. and letting that love create community, then you run the risk of forcing fellowship like we were talking about earlier yeah. forcing your version of what things should look like um a, a, a decent example of that is just in the difference between some of the different uh gatherings that happen in my neighborhood there are some that uh i've i've been roped into helping organize it they weren't my idea <laughs> but there there were there were some there, there are some that are so authentic and organic feeling and uh, just a joy to attend. And it's because the people who organize them genuinely love their neighbors, like they're the actual people who live on their street. And then there are others who um, love their vision for what they want their community event to look like so much that it, when you go to it, it, it feels kind of forced. Like if you've lived in an apartment complex and, and, and you remember back to those events that sometimes they would have of like a book club or a movie at the pool and it just feels forced. I, th I feel like that's the difference between a, the, the cigar and barbecue night I'm going to this evening with some men in my neighborhood and the movie night at the pool. Mm -hmm. One feels natural one feels so incredibly forced. I don't even want to go. Right. And, and then what happens when, you know, you're in those situations for, you know, you're supposed to really love these people. You're supposed to go to church with these people and um, your vision of what your, your group, your church is going to look like and how it's going to be great is completely shattered by the guy or the family that comes in and does not agree with you or does not look like you and does not uh, talk like you guys talk. It seems like an outsider. What do you do with that? Like, how do you coach your people to, to embrace that sort of thing? I mean, I, I don't know how you do that in an established church, to be entirely honest. In a church plant like I've been in, you get to start from the beginning and established culture from the start. And for us, I don't, I think I did it by accident. Uh, but in retrospect, I think one of the things that helped our church to be really welcoming to people like that, people who kind of challenge that sense of this is a normal person and this isn't kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 like I hate using words like that. That just tends to be how human beings think. 
I think just the uh, the flexibility that we operated with as a church helped to create that environment where there was enough consistency that people felt like they knew that they knew what they were getting when they come to church, but just enough curveballs to make them go, oh, oh, okay, great. We're going to roast marshmallows after church instead of the last two songs. Okay, cool. Or, oh, we're going to have church in a park or at pastor's house or, okay, cool. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, you know, never like, done that before. Okay. <laughs> right. And so just shaking things up from time to time, I think, um, in a weird way may have helped with things like that. I don't really know. I just know it happened in my church and I was proud yeah. of it. Like just put them uh, in a new setting. My, that's been my theory. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes those norms are associated with the setting. And when the, those norms are challenged in that setting, it's the setting that actually changing could actually help break the norm and, and you go, Oh, well, this, yeah, you know what, this is totally normal or fine or whatever. Right. And it, and it's kind of, I know it's sad to talk in the sense of like, how do you accept someone who's different? It's really what we're talking about. And we think, well, of course you accept them. Do we though? We really don't get that very well. I mean, we really struggle with that. And in fact, the last year or two years, even in the, in the church, um, there's a lot of people that cut ties with friends and family and, you know, over issues and things that are going on in the world, a whole host of things. And a lot of it comes from how we view what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be part of a church uh, and how we should work out th our faith into the world and what that should look like. And uh, there's a lot of disagreement, lots of it. And we can spend all day getting into the reasons why that is. But the point I want to, I think I want to ask is um, how do you define, like what is in that circle of things that you're like, these are the foundation things that we have to agree on to be in fellowship. And then how do you start defining, like these are things that are worth, breaking fellowship over and that it, it is it's a hard question to answer when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of it um but and there's a lot of like phrases that people will use um you know about how you, know, you keep primary things primary and secondary things secondary but then you start asking well what's primary and how important is secondary like, sure. Yeah. Like maybe for you, it's a secondary issue. And so you're like, yeah, they're not, you know, they're still going to heaven, but like, I don't have to hang out with them <laughs> like yeah, over a secondary right. issue. And like, so like, that's hard. It's a hard question for, for me. Well, okay. So the first place to go with that question is if you're in a denomination, go with what they say, uh, for good church order, go with what they say is primary or remove yourself from that denomination. If, if, if that doesn't work for you in your church anymore, um, just for good church order, that's what has to happen first. Um, and then outside of, outside of that, I tend to land on, is it an issue of, of the gospel? If it's not, got to work it out. We, we can talk about it and debate it if we feel like it, like whether you're affirming or not affirming in the LGBTQ space, right? Mm -hmm. As, as, a, as a church is, if you're an affirming church as someone who's not affirming coming to your church, a deal breaker, if you are a non-affirming church, 
is someone who is a deal breaker for you? To me, that's a that answer is a no. It's not a deal breaker because that's not an issue of is, did Jesus save you and forgive your sins? Yeah. Um, but however, for someone who comes in and that is a deal breaker, they might see it like one that it is one. Yeah, that, absolutely. Right. It, that to be inclusive with the gospel, it would include and their views on that or whatever they are. They vary like crazy. They vary quite a bit. So, you know, there's a person here that's like, it is absolutely a core issue to include uh, you know, affirmation of LGBTQ in the gospel core of who we are, because that is part of salvation. And like, they understand that to be that way. Um, right. I think you get into conversations like that where, you know, it really does become difficult to determine like, okay, well, when do I need to back out or when do I need to ask them to back out or where is there, you know, if you can, you know, if you're a leader or something, but you know, these are hard conversations that are happening in the church space right now that is causing a lot of division. And I don't think that like avoiding division is always the right answer. You know, there are some right. things we need to be divided from, you know, like w when it comes to, and I'll just give you my personal soapbox example, when it comes to is racism a problem? You know, I think there's, there's not a lot of room for saying, no, no, it's not. I think it is, you know, I, I, th I think it very much is. Uh, is that a core to the gospel issue? No, but is it an issue that that's worth like, Hey, I don't know that we're on the same track here. Um, this may damage our relationship if we don't agree on this. I, I mean, that's very much where people are right now. Right on, on those kinds of issues. So, as a pastor, how do you step into that and and navigate that with them, or help them navigate it? You know, there are times that I think helping someone find another church home is a really good option. Um, there there are times that there are differences that do make fellowship really difficult, even if for me. Personally, I'm going to say, Hey, I, I'm going to still love you. You, you still come to my church. Like we're, we're good. We vehemently disagree on this thing, but like, Hey, you believe Jesus is your savior. I do too. We're good. But just because I do, that doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody in the church. And that matters too. Um, and there may be times that you suggest to someone, Hey, this might be a better place for you. Now that's obviously, I, well, I would hope that's obvious that that happens after a long period of actually trying with this person. But it's like you said, I don't know that avoiding division is always, always as important um, as it might seem. And so sometimes those things are good just for the good order of the church, just for um, the, the peace within the body of Christ. Um, my hope and prayer is always that where those divisions exist, there's still ultimate unity in Christ, even if being around each other drives us crazy, uh, because one day we're going to end up in heaven and none of it's going to matter anymore. And all, all that'll be water under the bridge when we get there. But in the meantime, we still got to live with other, other people. And sometimes that means finding a way to be united in Christ, but worship separately. And I think there's room in there too, for like, when you have that moment of, you know, should we be asking a person to find another church? Um, there's also the, on the flip, 
flip side of that is maybe you should find another church. You yeah, know, maybe, oh, absolutely. Maybe you as a leader yeah. are not really that your the way you think about something is not fitting in with, and, and I hate to use that terminology because as a leader, we're supposed to lead people somewhere, even if sometimes they don't want to, you know, it's right. not always, not always about like, well, where do you guys want to go? Or what do you want to do? Or what do you care about? And that's not being a leader. <laughs> right. That's, that's you're not, not just a facilitator. You're right. a leader. You're not right. a manager of your church. You're a leader and you got to make hard decisions and say, this is where we're going. And, and so there is that line though, of when you go, well, this is happening, this conversation a lot. And every time I find that I'm at odds with everyone on this, I mean, that's a good time, I think, to go, should I be here? Should I be here? Or yeah. Maybe should I find something else uh, in a different place? Because I think it's, it's easy to say, you don't fit in, you go. But that quickly turns into, they kicked me out because I disagreed on something that was foundational. And that story then is out there. Um, that's a difficult position to be in. And then, like you yeah. said, I hope that there's a lot of conversation that happens uh, leading up to that. Cause there's other issues other than the hot button issues, like er errancy of inerrancy of scripture, you know, is it infallible or is it inerrant? You know, what's the difference? Uh, there's, you know, how you baptize people or how does salvation work? You know, are you Calvinist or not Calvinist? Um, there's a bunch of things that we can theologically just not jive over and, you know, it can cause that division. I think that as we look at those, those core issues, you know, there's, it's almost like a bullseye as, as you go outside and there's different rings. And, and in that bullseye, I would, I would place like authority of scripture. I would place uh, self substitutionary atonement. Even I would put that in as a, as a, as a done deal. Um, Christ, Christ sacrifice for my sins. I mean, there's some basic theological things that would go in that circle, but I'll tell you, as I've, you know, talked to more people, grown a little bit, examined what I believe, that circle has not only gotten a little, hasn't really gotten smaller, but it's changed. And, you know, yeah. the hills that I'm, I'm willing to die on and the things that I'm not. And I think that, th and that has been extremely upsetting to me. Uh, not just personally, because I didn't know something or because I don't like it, but it has been upsetting to my friendships and my relationships as well. And that's, yeah. that's difficult, you know, to go even like with members of my own family that I'm just like, I can't believe you think this way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I can't believe I used to agree with you on thinking this way. Right. Uh, and many people are, are, are dealing with that. There's a whole host of things we can, we can disagree on, but I think there's a lot of stuff we can agree on too. Um, but before we get into that, are there any topics that you would say as a pastor that you would just lead your, your people, especially online for the sake of fellowship, just to say, maybe just avoid these topics. In, in the context of fellowshipping online, uh, I, I would say there's a few in the context of teaching and discipling online, which for me and my digital presence, those lines get blurred a lot. Yeah. Uh, but just for like the, like if I'm directing the people in my church, yeah. Uh, maybe stay away from politics. That's a good idea. Um, uh, people already get enough of that. So, and, and honestly, we all like you better, uh, before you became a political commentator, mm -hmm. you know, Susie. So how about you quit? Yeah. Popping off on Facebook. We like you better when you don't, you know? Yeah, man. I, I'll, I'll attest to that. I got a little more political this year and, you know, it really hasn't, 
it's not changing anybody's mind. You know, I'm really thinking different about it these days. There are things I still care about, you know, that I want to talk about, but at the same time, you know, I'm just a churchgoer now. I'm not in leadership. Sure. And so I'm finding my happy medium, not having that restriction on me because as a, as a person in the church, they're like, no politics. And that's a rule, right. you know, and, and, you know, I think pastors and leaders need to wade into some of these issues, but again, it's like a teaching or it's a discipleship thing, even online, but not, not just, Hey, this is crazy. This shouldn't happen. You know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's really just something that I'm, I get tired of it because there's always somebody that wants to just fight with you. And oh, honestly, yeah. I, just don't have, I just don't have the energy. In general, um, my in- encouragement is if you can't find a way to talk about it in a loving way, just mm-hmm. don't. If you find yourself getting angry or hot as you're typing on the keyboard, maybe backspace, save it as a draft, come back to it later if it's that important to you. Yep. But if, if it's a topic that causes some sort of a guttural reaction, at least take a couple steps back before hit and post. There, there are certain topics that I do that with where I feel very strongly, but I'm not going to post about it mm-hmm. because I know that I'm going to have a hard time doing that in a way that demonstrates love to for for me and my the topics I'm thinking of to the people yeah. I disagree with on certain issues. Yeah. And so it's like I'm just not going to. Uh, it's not worth it to make them see me as someone who's not loving like Jesus would love. Right. And I just know like hey, I'm sinful. I might not be able to do that right. Yeah. And and, and same for me too. I've noticed that as well. Like you know, I look at the stuff that I I've, I've even said and go, "Ooh, you know, I look back and go kind of a bad take on some stuff that was very, you know, cause I'm snarky, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, say things that are sarcastic and I'm trying to be funny and flippant and, you know, that's just kind of my personality, but then online doesn't always translate. It just comes off as this guy's pretty big jerk, you know, he's pretty, <laughs> pretty full of himself, thinks a lot of himself. The people who are hearing it are either going to already agree with me or are, there's nothing I'm going to be able to say to change their mind. So um, I think it, it's one of those evidences to me that you start to see yourself as becoming a, one of the victims of the algorithm in a way. The more passionate and angry you get about something, it might start to mean that, hey, I think the algorithm is hurting me. You know, because yeah. I, I think there's some things we should be upset about, but to the point of like, I'm angry. And I don't even know who I'm angry at. And I think that's just one of those tells I want to share because I think that it's, it would help somebody else when they're thinking like, I am so angry about this that I'm about to pop off on social about it. You know, I've done that. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's evidence of just the, the real misinformation algorithm, you know, the, the dangerous part of social media, it's getting to me. Yep. And, and it's you know, the rage machine. It is. It really is. And it's fueling so much of this. Um, but again, you know, if people are not, don't know how to look for that, you know, in their own, in their own self. I mean, I don't, I'm not good at it either. That being said, as a pastor, you do have to kind of wade into some controversial things. For sure. And, and you have, you know, you've said, <laughs> yeah. you've said some things that maybe are controversial, maybe that shouldn't be, but, but are. How do you prepare to handle the discussion after with those who both, you know, both want to one punch the air, but the other that might just want to punch you? You know, how do how do you prepare for how do you handle those kinds of responses? 
Uh, don't post about it until I actually have studied about it. Um, so it, there is this tendency on social media. Um, it's especially prevalent in uh, on Twitter, but everywhere uh, to send out this pithy statement that uh, is a little bit of a mic drop. It's a little bit of a, Ooh, get that, you know, kind of a, yeah. kind of a post that can sometimes lead to in an effort to be pithy. We can be um, imprecise in the way that we say things. Um, I've been guilty of that where I've said something and somebody's like, well, that's probably true for people who have been saved by Jesus, but not for everybody. Well, yeah, you might be right. I was not precise with how I stated that you're valid, valid criticism, right. Mm -hmm. Um, or to, uh, there's, there's this tendency to be the first to comment about something like early on in the process of the dialogue. And you just have, you just post your gut reaction and it's like, Maybe there's more nuance to this. A good example of that is the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict that flared up on social media a little while back, and everybody had their opinion. I stand with Palestine. I stand with Israel. Whatever. And very often, if you actually try to engage any of these somebody on either side in a conversation about the actual issue, you find that they aren't very studied on it, but they felt the need to express their opinion. And so, I don't ever want to be caught like that. And so to me, it's like, before I go and post about something, I'm going to study it. And what happened for me with that one in particular was I said, uh, the more I study this, the more I have no idea what to think about this problem. And, <laughs> and so here's what I know. God loves Israel. Uh, Israel. He loves Palestine. He loves the people in them. And so we're, I'm going to pray for both of them. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. And I still got pushback on that. But I, I think, I think a big thing is just, just be, be prepared to answer questions. Don't, 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 don't post about something controversial if you're not well studied on it. It's, I mean, that's irresponsible. Or you're not willing. Yeah, to or, un yeah, or unwilling. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us want that mic drop moment and we walk away and somebody picks the mic up and they start yelling something back at us. We're like, hold up, give me the mic back. I got more to say. And then it just starts to fight. Um, those mic yep. drop moments aren't as awesome as they are when you can have them in a movie and somebody says something perfect and then it cuts to another scene. And everybody exactly. in the audience goes, ooh, yeah, got him. You know, that doesn't happen in real life. And be willing to learn from your response, from the responses to what you put out there too. Mm -hmm. Like, like maybe there's stuff that, that you didn't know that somebody brings up. And it's like, yeah, be willing to be publicly wrong. Be willing to learn in public. That goes a long way. It's so, it builds such trust that you're a person that learns. You know, there, of course, is the group out there that anytime you grow or learn, they say, oh, you flip flop. You know, it's like, no, I'm right. growing and I'm learning and I've changed my mind. And you're allowed to do that. And, and I think that we should normalize being able to change your mind on stuff. Uh, the more you learn and grow. Uh, just the other day, I think it was yesterday, I said something to my wife uh, in a conversation. And my wife is the ultimate see the other groups perspective person. And so I'll, I pop off, you know, I have a feeling and I'm going to voice it because I'm, that's, I'm a verbal processor. You know, I, I got to talk about, talk it out and I may be saying something. And I'm not even really sure that's what I think about it yet, which is nuts for everybody else to, to deal with. But I'm, I said something, I can't, I don't even know what it was. And she started going, well, you know, as a person here, they might do. And I was like, oh man, here she goes. 
but she was kind of right. And I, and then by the end of that, it was like, you know, okay, yeah, I see that. I can see how they would say that then. Yeah, that makes more sense. You know, and it was like I, in that moment, I thought I need to position myself in this way more. This is not something I do a lot. I, I could stand to be better as a human if I do this more. I think we all would, all yeah. of us. Yeah, it was a very surreal moment where I'm like, and she's one of the few that honestly sometimes can get through to me. So it's it's good that she's that way. There um, you go. You know, she she's very encouraging. She sees the other side. She's always trying to, you know, be be the advocate for the other people that aren't present when you're talking about them. You know, if there's an issue mm-hmm. in the world or something, you know, it doesn't even, she didn't have to know them. She just was like, well, you don't know what's happening with them. You know, and I'm like, how do you have that perspective all the time? It's amazing. Um, well, last question I want to get to well, a couple as we wrap up. First um, Thessalonians 5.11 says it instructs us to encourage one another and build each other up. So what can pastors and leaders do to lead by example on that in social media and other online spaces that creates that healthy fellowship? What kind of things can you post that encourages this? Yeah. So there's, there's a number of ways. So like some of it is just, I feel like it's the low hanging fruit, which is just encourage people that God loves them, that they're forgiven, mm-hmm. that, that, that you care about them. Um, those, those things in scripture and about the heart of God that are, that are kind that are encouraging that do build up um there's a text and i'm drawing a blank on where it is uh but it says that uh knowledge puffs up but love builds up i think it's easy for someone who is studied like a pastor is studied uh, to want to demonstrate their knowledge um and for people to know that they know what they're talking about. And um, I think it's much more important and builds up a lot better if we show people how much we love them rather than how much we know. Um, I think that that comes through even when you tackle those difficult topics, like what we were talking about before. I believe that you ought to be able to encourage some sort of a loving Christ-like response. I mean, okay, think about it this way. Um, this is something I I try to remind myself of because I'm one of those guys who uh, likes to stir the pot. I I, I like to step on the anthill. Play right? the devil's advocate, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Jesus only flipped tables once. He spent a lot more time encouraging and building people up. Mm-hmm. Um, Stirring the pot is good. Flipping tables is necessary sometimes. But if all you're ever doing is flipping tables and stirring the pot and there's, there's not uh, some love in, in there, there's not some just, hey, just a reminder, like God, God loves you. He's proud of you. He sees you as his special treasure from among everybody on earth. You're his special treasure. That's Deuteronomy. Yeah. Um, the, I think it's a moment to check check where your heart's at. Um, and, and, and I've had to do that. Um, there, there was, I mean, the last election cycle, I had to check my heart a couple of times where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a yeah. lot of pot stirring and not a lot of encouraging. I should probably fix this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same you know? way. You know, I feel like, yeah, I used to be, I had a hard time being 
funny. You know, I think a lot of people see me as a funny guy, uh, a silly guy. And I definitely have that part of my personality. I enjoy it, but I feel like I lost it because it was just so yeah. much that I was, it was heavy on my heart with the it was a heavy time. Yeah. Very heavy and I get, time. It's like, it's, that's kind of how I tend to try to encourage people is by lightening the load, lightening the mood, you know, providing a take on things that's a little bit more fun and, and silly or just brightens your day, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, I do want to bring that because I often don't feel that way. You know, it, I feel I'm very much a moody, melancholy person. And, you know, most people who go into comedy, not that I'm a comedian, but like they, they go into comedy because they feel moody and melancholy about so many things. They just find life ridiculous. And I, I'm, I'm kind of in that, that boat. Um, but I, I feel like it was so difficult and I think a lot of people are there, you know, we really need more of that encouragement, more of that positivity, more of that light, uh, and putting that out there. And I think if you're a pastor, like you said, um, working to introduce that more to the space is a great way to encourage better fellowship. Yeah. But there are many that are thinking of walking away. You know, there's a lot of pastors that are thinking of leaving the pulpit. There's a lot of people that are in the church that are deconstructing and um, reevaluating their faith is how I like to really describe that. They're reevaluating what they really value. And some of them are thinking of walking away from the church, but many are just walking away from the church and not Jesus, you know, so there's a lot, there's that. What encouragement do you have for those leaders and those people as they process the difficult decision of breaking fellowship with either the church or their church or whatever they're kind of processing? Yeah, I think I probably have a couple of encouragements. Um, one is if the particular Christian fellowship that you're in is toxic and it, or is just not good for you, um, maybe try a new one before you totally write it off. Um, try, try somewhere else. But uh, when it comes to like, especially issues of like deconstruction, or even if that's not the term you would use, maybe you're just questioning or wrestling with stuff is what we used to call. It. We used to call it just wrestling with stuff. Yeah. Uh, now we have yeah. this word deconstruction. But um, when it comes to that stuff, my opinion on faith has been for a long time that a faith worth believing in will withstand the tough questions. So if it's worth basing your life on, if it's worth betting your soul on, it ought to be able to withstand some questions. And so my encouragement would be, don't stop asking the questions. I've heard it said, I forget who, who said this, but I've heard it said that the moment we stop talking to God and start talking about him, that's the moment we start to actually really start taking steps away from him. And because I know so many people in that deconstruction um, place, that kind of season of deconstruction, they're not actually trying to go away from God. They're actually, in a lot of cases, trying to find him. Yeah. Um, they might be trying to get away be, from his people, though. Right. Yes. <laughs> they might be trying yeah, to walk away from sure. them. So I get that. But, you know, at the same time. Don't stop right. talking to God. You're right. Yeah. You know, like. Don't just talk about him. Like, talk about him, but like, don't just talk about. Him. Talk to him. Like he can handle your doubt. He can handle. Jesus showed up for Thomas in his doubt. He didn't reject him. Don't stop looking for the answers. You'll find them. Um, I, I and I, I believe that our faith is is solid enough to withstand the the tough questions. And if it's not, then what what are we what are we doing? 
mm-hmm. be- believing something that can't stand up to questions. That's, that's silly. Right. I agree. I, I feel like there's a, you know, there's an element of where, of our faith that should be inviting to wait. Okay. So why do I think that what's really going on there? What's really happening? We may arrive at some answers that we don't like. I sure have, mm-hmm. you know, I, I found some things that I'm like, I believed this for a long time and I don't like that. There's so little to prove it, or there's so little to go on or that it's overwhelmingly not that. And I didn't know that, or, you know, something that changes, you know, how I think about my faith and I'm searching for a truer relationship with the Lord. I'm truly not trying to find a way to not have to be responsible to him for my life and choices. You know, that is not what I'm doing. That's not what many are doing. Now there are some that are doing that. Uh, There are some that have been hurt. They're angry or whatever the reason is, but they found some things that they like better and that's where they're going. That, that happens. But I think a lot of people are not doing that. A lot of people in the deconstruction are, you know, being pushed out of fellowships because they ask questions. And that says a lot about our cultures and our churches that we can't take that. Yeah. You know, it's not great. Yeah. Well, and, and, and honestly, uh, there's a lot of bad theology out there that needs to be deconstructed. Yeah. <laughs> there really is like theology that's harmful and hurtful. And, um, if you're, if that's where you're at, um, just know that you're not the only one. And, mm-hmm. um, if 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 our faith is is worth it, there is there is a good theology out there that helps to express it in a way that at least helps with the questions. I do think there are some questions we'll never have answers to. Absolutely, but it should at least be a faith that we can we can actually believe in and not just close our eyes and hold tight because yeah. it's what people say we should do. Yeah, and that's happening in the online space, and I think it's happening yes. in the online space because. In the in-person space, that is discouraged. Yes, you know, they, they're pushed out of that. I really feel that way. It, that has been my experience. That has been the experience of most people that I know. Uh, so that's anecdotal. I know I'm just giving you stories of my experience, and that's all that's really worth. But that's been my experience: is that the in-person right. space of the church, the fellowship is broken because you ask questions and because you had doubts and because you struggled. And I know many people are feeling that way. And I feel like that's one of the great separators for us in biblical fellowship is that we're afraid of learning about our God. Um, I'll tell you that one of the greatest functions of seminary for me was going in thinking I had, let's say, 10 really good questions coming out with three of those being answered pretty solidly and having 50 more better questions. Yes. And, Same. And that was my seminary experience. It's, it's 100%. like, I know that, that people like to, you know, fear education and stuff in the church by saying, I went to cemetery. I mean, seminary. And I hate that joke, but that just is indicative of the fact that we're very afraid to really look honestly at some of the things we think. And man, there's people out there that are struggling with it. And if we can't even talk about it in an honest way, they go to the online space where they find people who may give them a bad answer. That sounds really great. Uh, Or may just feed that confirmation bias 
or they might even find a better answer and find no church that will agree with them around them. You know, yeah. it's actually, here's a better answer, but churches don't teach this, you know, that kind of thing. And that actually happened. So I feel like there's a lot of elements to that. And as a church as a leadership, especially if fellowship is one of the goals of our church, then we have to be a little gracious in dealing with those who have doubts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I say hang in there too. Uh, hang in there and find your people. Well, man, I, I appreciate your time on the show. I really, I've enjoyed this. This is a lot of hard stuff to talk about. You know, fellowship yeah. sounds like the most fun topic, but to really do it biblically, to do it well, it's the most unfun thing to talk about because it has the most difficult stuff to discuss. So I appreciate your candor and being open and talking about it. Thank you for having me on the show. This was a, a, a fun conversation to me. Yeah. Um, I love, I love talks like this. This is great. I do too. I do too. And I really hope that others enjoy it too, that it really does challenge your thinking and it challenges, you know, the, the ideas that we have of fellowship and are we really seeking it if we're not trying to find it, if we're, you know, in our church and how are we actively doing that and actively trying to foster those spaces for people to have safe, safe spot, not safe space, but it's like safe fellowship to actually ask questions yeah. and, um, you know, really to get down into the dirty stuff of our faith, which there is a lot. So, right. Well, man, I, I wish you the best and I really appreciate your time and your insights. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Seth. And thank you guys for listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks. Hope you found this informational, helpful, encouraging, uh, enraging, whatever it is that you might feel. I hope that it has been helpful. And so please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and uh, join the email list at sethmuse.com. And I will send you updates when we get this out each week. So uh, we'll be dropping new episodes soon. Thank you so much. And we'll see you later.